Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 1 to 14. And it says this, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these things are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are in the light. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Amen. Well, I hope that you are doing well. And as we get back into the swing of things after a summer break, if you'd like to volunteer to do a reading, to lead us in prayer, to bring uh, a word of testimony, uh, please get in touch. We would love uh, increasingly again uh, for folks after the summer break to begin contributing in the services. Feels like we've hit a milestone this week with the schools returning again. That was encouraging to see and we're praying a blessing uh, on you as the young people and a blessing on all the teachers and those who work in schools. And as many of us are now uh, back at work, we're out and about more. We enjoyed the beautiful weather uh, that we had this week. Life is kind of taking on a new rhythm and for that we are thankful. And yet we're still mindful, aren't we, of the huge shifts that have happened in society over the last few months. Uh, this week coming is going to mark 150 days since lockdown began. And there's just this continued fragility, isn't there, uh, in society as we try and ease our way forward. Well, in a few weeks, we're going to finish our series in Ephesians. And we're going to move on to a new series, thinking about God in our everyday. Uh, how does our faith shape and influence our approach in our day-to-day -day lives? Maybe to our workplaces and issues we face there. Or maybe to school or university. Perhaps even retirement. Are there issues that we face at different stages of life? And what does the Bible have to say about it? Then there might be more practical issues like faith and money. Jesus spoke a lot about that. Or engaging with politics and the state. So many areas that we could probe into as to how as we as Christians regarding God in our everyday should live out our lives and our faith. 
And my hope is that it's going to begin to stimulate a, a discussion amongst us on a range of issues uh, and how our faith relates to our everyday life. And so starting now, if you've got a suggestion about an area of everyday life that you would like us to look at to explore how faith influences our approach to it, uh, then drop me a suggestion and we can begin to have a think about how it might be approached and I can think about people who it might be helpful to invite in to talk about certain issues because I certainly don't claim to have a monopoly of wisdom or experience. I hope also in time as we step into that new series God in our everyday that it's going to allow us to have insights and testimonies from some of you about some of the issues that we begin looking at and what it means to bring God into our everyday for you. So over to you. This is your opportunity to shape the topics for the sermons in the coming weeks. It's you that has to sit there and to listen to it and to engage with it. Uh, so young or old, uh, get your suggestions in. So that's where we're going. And in some ways, the last two chapters of Ephesians act as a bridge, if you like, into that new series. As Paul, building on all that we looked at last week uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, encourages us to imitate God in different aspects of our lives. And in coming weeks, we're going to be thinking about what it means to imitate God and to walk in the way of love in key areas of human life and relationships, from marriage uh, to relationships between children and parents, young people, make sure you tune in for that one, uh, to even our relationships in the workplace. Well, why was it important for the Christian community to imitate God? Well, here is a community of God's people grappling with what it means to live out their life and their faith in a city and a culture that was far from God. And we can relate to that. It's a reminder that the church has often found itself on the fringes of society. Often as Christians, we are in the minority rather than the majority. We are called to follow the narrow path rather than the broad one. How do we live out our faith in such a context? What does it look like to imitate God and walk in the way of love? How can we be, as we'll begin to explore this morning, light in the darkness? This letter is written to the church in Ephesus and the congregations in the surrounding region in Asia Minor. Ephesus in modern-day Turkey on the Aegean coast was this kind of growing, bustling, uh, cosmopolitan city. And just as we come to the verses this morning, there's three things we want to note, first of all, about things that shape that city and that culture, which are pertinent to the verses we're going to be reading and looking at this morning. First thing we note is that in Ephesus, it was famous for this temple, this temple of Artemis or Diana. She was the Greek god of fertility. And this temple had become one of the seven wonders of the ancient world attracting tourists uh, from all over the region and beyond. 
And yet it was a working temple and the temple and the practices associated with it were steeped in sexual immorality. And without going into the details, we're not going to do that this morning. The Greek philosopher Heraclitus, who lived some 500 years before Paul, said with tears in his eyes that no one could live in Ephesus without weeping over the immorality that they would see on every side. And that paints a picture for us of the city. And so the original readers of this letter would have been aware of the practices that were happening in the city, centred around the temple. Indeed, it's likely that perhaps a number within the church have been saved from this background. And they're now wrestling with what it means to embrace the gospel and the teachings of Jesus and to live for him. Living out values that would have seemed so out of touch with the culture around them and we can relate to that too can't we as Christians today Uh, the pattern for living uh, the ethics which the Bible lays down on a number of issues including love and sexual ethics is very different to the world around us and that's something that we as Christians need to wrestle with aware of the pressures and influences in the world around us and work out what it means to live for Jesus in that and we've seen a bit of dialogue and discussion even opening up in the society around us about that with things like the me too movement and that gives us a voice as christians uh, to speak into uh, with the christian point of view and a different pattern of living and so that was the first thing that characterized the city which we need to be aware of if we're to understand uh, these verses this morning And the second thing that we need to note about the city of Ephesus uh, as we grapple with these verses this morning and try and understand the context which this uh, church is facing is that it was the banking centre for the region. Huge amounts of wealth flowed through the city and many were attracted to the city with the hopes of working in this financial district and making fortunes of their own. And so you have this wealth and this greed and this pursuit of money that characterises the lives of many of the citizens that were living within it. And undoubtedly, within the church again, there would have been those who were traders, those who were involved in the banking sector, who have now come to faith and are working out what does it mean for them to live out their faith in that environment and to practise their faith in a culture that is steeped in greed and accumulation of wealth. And again, we can relate to that challenge, can't we? Within our own culture, we look back over the last decade and beyond, we look back to 2008 and the financial crisis, and we look at the structures that often underpin society uh, that pursue greed, but also uh, are laden with debt and the problems that that causes Uh, and regardless of the politics of the situation we know that in many societies uh, in our world there is this growing chasm between rich and poor and these are challenging issues Um, and so we need to work out uh, a Christian response to it and there's nothing new about materialism and greed and consumerism it was here in Ephesus it's here today And we need to think through Christian responses to those issues. 
And then thirdly, and this is an interesting fact for us to know and just to throw into the mix, uh, was that when the temple was set up, it was decided that within the walls of the temple, anyone who had committed a crime of any kind could head to the temple and seek asylum. So regardless of what crime you had committed, if you could make it to the temple in Ephesus without being caught, you could seek asylum and immunity. Well, you can imagine that that was an attractive offer for many. In fact, it was so popular an offer and so many criminals came to the city in search of asylum that a decision was made to extend the boundaries of this asylum protection zone out with the temple. So they decided that if you were in a certain distance of the temple, you were safe from prosecution also. As they began to work out how far that boundary should extend, initially they said it was as far as an arrow could fly from the temple. So stand at the temple, fire an arrow. As far as it lands, that is the measure of the zone. Bit of a loose measurement. Uh, but in time, there was this entire district of Ephesus that became this criminal asylum. And as a result, Ephesus becomes this quite rough coarse kind of city, a kind of potential moral cesspool of all kinds of people and practices right on the coast with people coming from all over to Ephesus to escape their crimes. And you can imagine just walking down the street, the things that you would see and the things that you would hear and that kind of coarse offensive language that might be all around you. But the amazing thing is that it is into this context that the gospel comes and takes root. People respond to the gospel. This church is planted. It's a reminder uh, that often these are the situations that are most fertile to the gospel message. And so you have this church gathered from every different background, gathered and saved out of some of these backgrounds into the Christian faith, a real cross-section of society. And they're now worshipping together and trying to work out what it means to live out their faith in this context. And that is why the words in these verses become so powerful. It was into this context that they were to imitate God. It was into this context that they were to walk in the way of love. It was into this context that they were to live in the light of the Lord and live as children of the light, understanding that they have been saved out of darkness into a new way of being. Can you see how this Christian community could become a powerful witness in this context? Note that Paul doesn't tell the Christian community to leave Ephesus, to move out of the city, to retreat. Rather, they are to bring God into their everyday as they live and they work in the city, as they trade in the city and conduct business and interact with the culture around them as people of faith. And so the idea here is that God's people are in the world. They're in the darkness, but they're not walking in the darkness anymore. They're walking in the light. Much of this is about the power of example and gospel 
living. They've received the truth of Jesus and the gospel. Now they're to live it out. And to that end, Paul puts strong boundaries in place in order to protect them. Yes, they are to be in the darkness as a witness. But he says, verse 7, do not be partners with them. Or look at verse 11, do not participate in their fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. This is a key point for us to understand as we engage with mission. There are boundaries. Yes, we are to be present as Jesus was present among sinners and those in need of salvation. But we're always to maintain our distinctives as Christians by not participating or partnering in anything that is not of God. That requires discernment. Requires wisdom from you and I to know where to draw the line. And that is a topic we could discuss much about. Um, perhaps you want to chat about it at some point in your small groups. And maybe uh, we'll delve into it a bit uh, as we begin this new series in a few weeks time of God in the everyday. But the principle is this model a different way of living. And in so doing you will expose the folly of others and what they are doing. And that is the Jesus way. In modelling a, a different way of living, we expose the folly of the foundations that others are building their lives on and the practices that they are engaging in. And it leads them to begin asking questions about the gospel foundation that we are building our lives on. Well, Paul picks up on this imagery of light and darkness. Uh, the idea of light and darkness is vivid imagery, isn't it? It's something that we're familiar with in, in books and in movies uh, and other parts of uh, popular culture and society. And it's also used countless times in Scripture. And in Scripture, the use of light uh, kind of has two aspects uh, of it, which is seen in verse uh, 8 to 14. It's also seen elsewhere in Ephesians and in Paul's wider writings. And the first is intellectual and it focuses on correct thinking. And this idea of light is summed up using the word truth. And so we have the intellectual side and then we have the moral side that focuses on right living. And it can be summed up in scripture using words like righteousness and holiness. And then we have the contrast and then the other side there is darkness reflected in scripture in an intellectual sense through the use of words like ignorance and falsehood and futility. While morally it is reflected using words like evil and hardening of heart. So on one side you've got light spoken of through words like truth, righteousness, holiness. And on the other side, you've got darkness, and that is spoken of through words in Scripture like ignorance and falsehood and futility and evil and a hardening of heart and those characteristics uh, that characterise a person walking in darkness. Ephesians 4, verse 17 to 21, illustrates some of this. It says this, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. Note that word. They are what? They are darkened in their understanding, 
and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance, note that word, that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Note again that phrase. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Note that impurity and greed, that's what Paul is talking about here in in chapter 5. Specific examples of being far from God and being ignorant of him. Then it goes on to say that, however, is not the way of life you have learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Note that word truth and the transformation it has brought in their lives. You see the connection. Very simply, ignorance of God, falsehood, wrong teachings and ideas about God and his ways leads to a lack of sensitivity to God about what he desires for our lives. And that can lead us down a path of impurity, of immorality, of greed and ultimately doing evil in the eyes of God. And we think about that recurring phrase in the book of Judges in the Old Testament that summed up times when society wandered from the truth of God uh, and embraced the moral practices. And it just simply says time and time again, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It reflects that turning away from him in mind and in heart and in spirit and in action. But then there is the contrast of what happens when the gospel takes root in a person's life. What does it say in Ephesians 4? It says this, That, however, is not the way of life you have learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And that is the idea that Paul builds upon here in chapter 5. Look at verse 8 and 9 of chapter 5 and it says this. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth and find out what pleases the Lord. The idea very simply is this, right thinking leads to right living. They've learned about Christ, chapter 4. They've received the truth. Now they are to what? They are to live it out. They are to live as children of the light. They are to find out what pleases God and to do it. To practice it in our lives. To let that truth shape their lives. Previously they were in darkness. The idea in the Greek is twofold. Both of a general darkness that covers society. But also the idea that as individuals we ourselves can be instruments. Or vessels of darkness carrying around that darkness within us. And that's presumably how all these folks in the church at Ephesus once lived before Paul comes along with the gospel and plants the first church. Remember that this is the first generation of Christians in that city. They know firsthand salvation. 
They've not been brought up in a Christian home. So Paul reminds them of their transformation. He reminds them of the background out of which they have been saved. But then he goes on to remind them of their new identity in Christ, that they are now children of light, citizens of the kingdom of God. They are no longer ignorant of God. The light of God and the gospel has shone into their hearts. And as they have heard and they have realised that truth, that truth has exposed their ignorant and shameful ways. But it's also put them on the path to salvation. And when they believed in Jesus, the light of the world, they too became bearers of light. The darkness was cast out and his light has begun to reside in them and to illuminate through them so that all can see Christ in them. Imagine how a powerful witness that could be. Here is the community of God's people trying to work out what it means to live out this new identity in Christ in a city which is steeped in what was their old identity, their old culture, their old patterns of living. They've changed, but it hasn't. As we end this morning, we are going to end now. Now, there is much that we could press into in more detail. Uh, and maybe we will in time uh, as we engage with that new series uh, about what it means to, to live for Jesus in a city like Ephesus, modern day Glasgow. But for now, uh, what can we take away with us in order to help us to begin to think about these things? Well, perhaps the first question I would ask you to go away and to reflect on is this, what are the gods of our culture which still influence you today? Unless we can name them, unless we can recognise them, then potentially they are things that can still influence us today. They can still have a power over our lives. Where are they found? What are the things that you are susceptible to? How do they influence you. One of the things about this passage is that it doesn't uh, give us the answers. It just leaves us with a series of questions to grapple with, uh, to think out what it means for us uh, to live out uh, a Christian life within the culture uh, that we are in. And is there sexual immorality in our culture? Yes, there is. And can that influence us? Of course it can. And we need to think about uh, the biblical ethics of that and how it's going to shape our lives. Is there greed uh, within our culture? Of course there is. And again, we need to think about the ethics of money and resources uh, that the Bible teaches us about and work out what that means for us uh, in our lives. Is there still uh, obscenity, foolish talk and coarse joking uh, within our culture? Of course there is. How can we uh, choose not to engage with that? How can we have this cleansing, not just of our mouths, but of our hearts? Because Jesus reminds us what the heart is full of comes out uh, of the mouth. Uh, we need to think about how we can transition from that place of using that kind of foolish talk 
to a place of using our mouths and our lips to bring thanksgiving and praise to God. I'm not giving you the answers this morning. I want you to go away and to start to think about some of that in your own life. But as we end, Paul just leaves us with these two words, if you like, from verse 14. And those two words are, wake up, wake up. It's kind of resurrection language. It's uh, symbolic of that act of baptism where someone who was spiritually asleep suddenly wakes up and becomes spiritually alert uh, to all that God is and all of God's ways. And it's a, a call for us uh, just to be alert to the things of God, uh, to get rid of that negative influence in our lives. And in doing that and stepping out of the darkness into the light, Christ will shine on you. And the light of Christ will shine through you. So this morning, what is influencing your life? What is influencing your life negatively? How can you bring that before the Lord and ask him to deal with it? And how are you letting God and his word and his ways influence you positively? That increasingly you might walk as a child of light. Much to think about in this week to come. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that in God there is only light, there is no darkness. And we pray that the light of Jesus and the light of your word and the light of your spirit might shine into our dark hearts today. That you might first and foremost expose in us any darkness and that we may allow you to deal with it by your word and by your spirit. And we pray that prayer because if we are going to be ambassadors, children of light in this dark society around us, uh, that light needs to shine through us clearly and visibly. And so do a new work in our lives today, Lord. Uh, may you fill us with your light that we might shine for you in this week to come. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.